0: just really marked by the Lord during worship and um, really what the really what the Lord marked me with um, as I as I I I don't I'm sure that y'all do this right am I the only one Uh, when, when we're worshiping sometimes I'm just so caught up in the Lord and then I'll I'll turn to the right or to the left and just see you guys worshiping and it's just so beautiful it's so beautiful to see how God has taken a, a, a ragtag group of folks and brought us together in, in a common love and in a common purpose and um, it's just so beautiful and and the hunger that you guys were pouring out during worship, just the, the readiness for the for the for the next season with God for the next level with God it, it's just so marking and then people got up and spoke words about The king of kings and the Lord of lords and a a jealous God. And and I just felt the Lord saying to his people this morning, uh, I am establishing victory in this house today. You will not get another checklist. You will not get another to-do list. You will not be challenged to know better and understand deeper. All we were doing today is surrendering to the victory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to start off by telling um, a story. I, it's really a collection of stories from the Gospels, but but I'm going to kind of weave them together and reorder it in such a way and, and tell it in kind of a, a unique fashion that you may have never heard the Gospels told this way before. And I've, I've done the, the biblical and scholarly research to know who was where and when and um, so, so the purpose of this story is for you just to hear the heart of God this morning, to hear the heart of Jesus this morning. Uh, but but we're, He's putting it in story form so that you can find yourself in the story, right? Any good story we want to that we that we're listening to, God's challenging us to find ourselves in the story. So, if you'll allow me, I'm going I'm to start our our story this morning. Um. One day, Jesus was out and about. Uh, he was near, near Capernaum. He was near the shores of the, the Sea of Galilee. And, and Jesus had a, a big decision to make, so he, and he wanted to be alone. He wanted to be with his Father. He wanted to pray. It, it was a really big decision. Um, in, in fact, he had, he had 12 really big decisions to make. And, and this decision was so important to Jesus that he stayed awake Praying all night to the Father. Now, I don't know when the last time, or if there was a last time that you've stayed up all night praying about a decision that you had to make. But I can assure you, if you have, it was a life or death decision. It was a life-altering decision. It was a huge decision that would make a difference. And in fact, it was no different for Jesus. This decision that he was making, in fact, was a life and death decision. And and so scripture says he stayed up all night, not seeking his own will, but seeking the will of the Father. And when, when day came, he called those who were following to him, right? So Jesus had already been healing. He had already been casting out demons. So there was a throng of people already following him around. And when daylight came, he gathered those people to him and chose from among them whom he desired. And they went to him on the mountain. He would He would appoint uh, these 12 men as his inner circle of 12 disciples. And he, he would not only call them as his disciples, uh, he would call them as apostles, right? They would follow him and learn from him. He would be their ra- rabbi as, as disciples, but he was calling them as apostles to send them out, To do the work of the kingdom that he had come to proclaim. And again, like us, it was just a ragtag group of guys. And so he needed to give them the power to do ministry alongside him. He needed to give them the authority to do the kingdom work that he was calling them to do. And in Matthew 10 specifically points this out it says, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them, listen to this, authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. I mean, what, what a privilege, right? To, to, out of this throng of people that are following Jesus, to be one of the 12 that's chosen. By Jesus, that's that's selected by Jesus. It says, "I want to hang with you. I want you to be a part of the inner circle." And not only that, I want to I want to give you my power. I want to equip you and commission you to work alongside me to usher in this kingdom of heaven that I have been sent here to proclaim. You see, Jesus was choosing to enter into deep relationship with these men. They would be by his side for three and a half years of active kingdom ministry they would cast out they would deliver they would heal in the name of jesus that they had been chosen by the long-awaited true messiah that had been prophesied 700 years earlier by isaiah the one true king of israel had chosen them and he would call simon peter and andrew and james and john the sons of thunder Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Thaddeus, and Judas Iscariot. And and, and this is where our our perspective is going to shift a little bit as we continue our story. So there stood Judas Iscariot. And what was he doing? He was answering the call to follow Jesus. You ever thought about that? From the outside looking in, as far as the disciples could tell, as far as anybody else could tell, Judas Iscariot was answering the call to follow Jesus, to walk in communion with Jesus. He was feeling the love and honor of being chosen. desired by Jesus. He was being filled with the power to cast out demons, to heal every disease and every affliction. You see, Jesus had, like I said, Jesus had already been healing people. He'd already been setting people free. And so surely Judas is standing there in this moment, feeling the love of God poured out on him as he is chosen by the one true son of God. And, And then maybe this thought. Slides in. Did God really say that he loves the, the whole world, like even, even me, that he sent his only begotten son? Like, like, like if Jesus knew my inner thoughts, if he knew my heart, he, he certainly wouldn't choose me. I'm not worthy to be chosen by Jesus and as Judas stood there, Jesus would send him along with all of the other disciples with this charge out of Matthew. It says, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost house of the sh- go, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He gave he gave Judas this charge heal the sick raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And Jesus says this, you received without paying, give without pay. And so what is Judas supposed to make of this call, right? On on one hand, yes, what an honor to be chosen by Messiah to follow him. But 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 now this this commissioning, uh, and this calling to serve alongside him in kingdom ministry, right? Th- th- this is starting to sound like there's going to be a little bit more of a cost to it th- th- than I had planned. Like, I'm going to have to leave my house. I'm going to have to leave my family. I'm going to have to leave my job and my income to, to follow him. And, and then Jesus tacks on these three words that we know would weigh heavy in Judas' mind, in his heart. Jesus said, give without pay. And so I can't help but think in, in that moment, did Judas say, uh, sorry, did, did Judas think, did Jesus really say, give without pay? I, I mean, what an honor, right? It's an honor, Lord. Thank you. But, but they're starting to seem a little bit bigger of a cost associated with, with following you. And and I do enjoy the finer things of, of this world, Right? And like you just said, we're going to be sent out as sheep among wolves. So maybe there's some sort of like hazard pay that, that, that should be appropriate, right? But, but give, give without pay? Did, did Jesus really say that? You see, Judas was pondering the, the, the question around the cost of following Jesus. And, and the, the question around the cost of following Jesus was about to be decidedly answered. Because John the Baptist, whom the disciples love, having been in prison under Herod the Tetrarch, was beheaded. And, and you know what Scripture says? Scripture says that it was the disciples that took his body and buried it. So, with John the Baptist's head on a platter in Herod's court, Judas, along with the other disciples, took the headless corpse of John the Baptist. And buried it. What what a visceral image this paints, right? You you are the lucky one who has just been chosen to follow Jesus. Here's a former follower of Jesus. Can you take his headless corpse out and bury it? So you can't you can't convince me that that standing there, Judas uh, wasn't questioning in his head. Did Jesus really say that I have come to set the prisoner free? I mean, look at that. Then John was in prison, and I feel like he left him there, left him there, and now he's dead. This, this didn't work out too, too well for John. Does, does this same fate await me? Am I ready to give up everything to follow Jesus? And Jesus loved John the Baptist. And so when he heard about the, the death of his uh, friend, he drew away to a, a desolate place to, to mourn the loss of his friend. But, but, but he, the, the, the secret, the cat was already out of the bag. The secret was out and the, and the people from the surrounding towns knew that he was there and so they followed him on foot. So he couldn't sit there alone with the father and mourn the loss of John the Baptist. Instead, he had compassion on the multitude. And scripture says that he healed their sick. And when the disciples were ready to send them away back to the towns to go buy their dinner, Jesus had further compassion on them and said, no, let's feed them. And so Andrew says, hey, there's a boy with five loaves and two fish. And so Jesus took the bread and he broke it and gave thanks to his father in heaven. And then scripture says that he gave it to the disciples to pass out. So he took some of the bread and he took some of the fish and he gave some to Simon Peter and some to Andrew and some to Matthew and some to Thaddeus and some to James and some to Philip. Which ones have I said and which ones haven't I said? I can't remember. And he gave some to Judas. And so here Judas is. Passing out miracle bread that just keeps miraculously appearing. And every loaf that miraculously appears in his hand or or a basket that never empties, I I don't know the mechanics of it, right? But loaf after loaf of evidences that this surely is the Son of God. That Jesus surely is who he says he is. Certainly Judas' doubts are being removed. Loaf. By loaf and in, in fish, by fish. But again, I think that thought just creeps in, right? Did Did Jesus really say that whoever comes to me will not hunger? Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And besides, am I going to have to count on a miracle every time that I want to eat? And am I going to have to worry about feeding all of these people that keep following Jesus? And the the, the bread was kind of stale, and the fish was okay, but. There was no butter for the bread, and there really wasn't any tartar sauce for the fish, right? So immediately after feeding the multitude, Jesus sent his disciples in a boat ahead of him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And after spending some time alone with the Father, Jesus decided to go to him. But by this time, the the storm had blown in on the Sea of Galilee, Galilee, It had kicked up the wind, it had kicked up the waves, and it had blown his boat from the shore. And Jesus decides, I'm going to catch up with my disciples on foot. And by foot, I mean walking across the lake on the waters and the waves. And so here is Jesus walking across the waters to the boat filled with disciples. And there, securely in the boat, stands Judas along with the other disciples marveling at the interaction of Peter and Jesus on the waves. And when Jesus brings Peter back into the boat and the waves calm and the wind subsides, scripture says this, "And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the son of God." Judas standing among them. And I have to think this thought crept in. Did, did Jesus really say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Like, it, it, I've, I've seen some, some crazy stuff, but like, is this truly the, the only begotten Son of the Father? Is this, is this the Father sending his Son down in, in the form of a, of a human? That's not the Messiah that, that we've expected. Later, Judas would witness Lazarus four days dead. Come out of the grave at the command of Jesus. Come out, Lazarus. Judas was standing there. Church, at this point, Judas knew the truth. He knew the truth. He didn't need any more evidence. I believe that Judas looked at Jesus and objectively knew he was the Son of God. I believe he knew that Jesus was the real deal. What he had witnessed up to this point, this story you've heard up to this point, is just undeniable. The truth is staring him in the face. So, so hold on to that. So now, in Holy Week, the day before the feast of Passover, Jesus And his disciples gathered for a meal. In this part, I'll read the narrative straight from from John chapter 13. Just listen to this. It says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was around his waist. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Sorry, my contacts are blurring. Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing now, you don't understand. But afterwards, you'll understand. And Peter said to him, we love Peter. Peter said, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. He means so well, doesn't he? And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not only my hands, not only my feet, but my hands and my head also. And then listen to what Jesus says to him. So loving, so pastorally says, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. But is completely clean. Hmm. And and Simon, and you are clean. But not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Do you think when Judas heard these words from Jesus, do you think his feet were already clean and kind of still damp and uh, air drying? Or do you think he was bending over and undoing the straps of his sandal when he heard those words from Jesus? Either way, this was a reckoning point for Judas. He knew the truth, but how would he respond to it? You see, Judas understood that Jesus was the truth. But Jesus is not an abstract truth to be understood. He is a person with an invitation who must be responded to Simon Peter in this passage cries out, "Lord, Lord, if you if you can make me clean, then don't just wash my feet, wash the whole stinking thing, head to toe. I need the I need the deluxe package with the wax. I need it, I need it all." And Jesus knowing that Peter was about to deny him not only once, the three tithes, turned to Peter and said, You are clean. You are clean. He's not calling us to be perfect. He's simply calling us to believe. Believing in Jesus is not a mental assent to an objective truth. Believing in Jesus is being fully convinced and fully persuaded that receiving Jesus as the truth is the only way to receive life. In, In fact, a chapter later, Jesus would say these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. Through me. Not because of me, Not theologically because of me, but through me. Experientially and personally through Jesus Christ. He wants to have an encounter of love with you. He wants to wash you clean from your head to your toes. And once he's done it, sure, you might need to wash your feet every once in a while. Those things get stinky. But you are clean. Knowing the truth. Is different than believing and receiving the truth. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14. In him you also after listening to the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Having also believed. Having also believed what? You were sealed in him. With the promise of the Holy Spirit who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. A a few moments later in John 13, Jesus would say exactly this, that we have to receive him as truth. We can't just know him objectively as truth. We have to receive him as truth. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one. Who sent me? Back to our story. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, got to love John too. Uh, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Who will betray you? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel... Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. And you guys know the rest of the story. Judas would betray the Christ for 30 pieces of silver. But I don't believe it was the 30 pieces of silver. I believe it was the... Myriad of lies that he'd come into agreement with over his time with Jesus, presented with the, the, the truth over and over and over. Knowing the truth, he did not believe it. Knowing Jesus, he did not receive him. He refused to accept Jesus as the way, the truth, and the lie. Every time Jesus would display himself as the truth, right? Sign after sign, wonder after wonder, miracle after miracle, what happened? The enemy followed up with lie after lie, and seed of doubt after seed of doubt, and seed of accusation after seed of accusation, and seed of perversion after seed of perversion. Until Judas just decided that either he wasn't worthy, or the cost was too high, or he'd rather enjoy the things of this world than, than lay his life down for Christ. I'm well aware, church, that uh, nobody likes to find even a hint of themselves in a story about Judas. But, but even Peter was brought to the end of his self righteousness after his threefold denial. That's good. And he was the most excited when he heard that Jesus had risen, and he ran. And all he found from his risen Savior was forgiveness and a loving embrace. So this morning, I want to ask a question. What could God do with a church who collectively laid down their religious spirituality on the altar and decided to come out of agreement with some of the lies that we've been believing about ourselves and fully surrender to the spirit of truth Stepping into the reality of who we are in Christ. Sorry. God has spoken two powerful words over this house over the last two weeks. From both Bertie and Austin. Bertie spoke of the beauty of not, not only being known in our mother's womb, but being made clean being made clean and set apart in the foreknowledge of God so that we could truly be transformed from glory to glory. And then the beautiful simplicity that Austin presented to just believe what God says about you and live a life of discovery in Him as you walk in the light of life in relationship and fellowship with Him. But I also think it's important as your pastor to stand before you And let you know that 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 beautiful reality that Bertie spoke of and the the beautiful simplicity that Austin laid out, those messages, while beautiful, they also punched me right in the gut. Just exposed a lot of stuff that needed to be exposed. The self-imposed prison of our inner thought life that Bertie talked about. It just stuck with me. It just stuck in my heart. The Lord wouldn't wouldn't let it let it go. The self, right? When when Bertie was talking about this self-imposed prison of our inner thought life, right, where where we where we say we're Christian and we're all we act all spiritual, and and, and then in our heads we think we're, we, we have self doubt and self loathing, and I'm not worthy. We're believing all the same lies that Judas was believing in the story. But that word prison just kept banging on my mind and banging on my heart. And the Lord said, no, where the spirit of truth is, there is liberty. There is freedom. If there's not freedom, it's not the truth. So hearing these messages, I, I, I just began to wrestle in my heart and I've talked to a number of you also and you all were wrestling in your heart and it really made you ask some hard questions. It made me ask some hard questions about myself. Why do I make this so complicated? My inner, di- my inner dialogue can be so different from the outward reality that, that I portray to all of you, really exposing me as a hypocrite more often than not. And then the flesh flitters up and says, okay, okay, so what's the process to fix this? I need a process. Bertie, you didn't leave me with a process. I need a checklist. I need a to-do list. What can I study? What book can I read? And even in this inner struggle, I just felt stuck in this never-ending cycle. And I realized we probably all feel stuck in this never-ending cycle, right? When when Bertie was talking about that prison, you could hear the collective groan. Of the audience as we were being convicted. And like I said at the beginning of service, God doesn't want us to respond this morning with more trying. You don't have to believe better or understand deeper or have a breakthrough of some increased measure of faith. You've been given everything needed for life and godliness to listen, be a partaker in the divine nature. What a promise. What a promise. And you can't be a partaker in the divine nature if you're not clean. So if you've called on the name of Christ, if you've believed and received him in your heart, listen, church, you are clean. You are clean. But there's a spiritual battle over you. Just like Judas, before you come to Christ, there's a spiritual battle over truth to try to keep you from believing the truth about who Jesus says he is and the promises that he has for you. But listen to this today, church. Once you have come to Christ, that battle doesn't stop. See, once the enemy has lost you to the family of God, he continues to pummel you with lie after lie, trying to distort and dilute the truth about you that God has spoken over your life and dilute it to the point and have it acclimate to the culture enough to where the the gospel you profess and and the sonship that you live out isn't even attractive to a world that's dying and lost. What a tactic of the enemy. We have to understand that we're fighting a real spiritual enemy. The same voice that asked Adam and Eve, did God really say, It's the same voice that was always in the head of Judas, who he eventually succumbed to. And it's the same voice that accuses us and lies to us on a daily basis. That same voice that is prowling around like a roaring lion waiting to devour us. Jesus, speaking of the devil, says in John 8, verse 44, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, the lies of the enemy lead to captivity. And we have all, to some degree, believed some of the lies of the enemy. While we were worshiping, the Lord said, My people are ready for this message, they're hungry enough for this message. So listen, to all of us, to some degree, have believed the lies of, an, of the enemy. Some of these lies we've heard our whole lives. So, some of these lies he used people in our lives that were supposed to love us to speak those lies over us. Some of these lies we've heard so long and so often that we've actually come into agreement with these lies. And we think this is just a part of who I am and I will always have this struggle inside of me we have to come out agreement with those lies this morning religion says obedience will lead to god's love the gospel says obedience is the fruit of being loved by him and loving him in return religion says you are clean only if you keep a perfect track record for some indeterminable period of time But God says you are clean because you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Religion says you need greater faith to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. God says, spend time with me and tap into the power that you already possess. The enemy says you are not worthy of God's forgiveness. The enemy says you're not worthy of God's calling. The enemy says you're not worthy of God's anointing. The enemy says you're not worthy to be used for the kingdom. And God says this morning, you are worthy. We cried out to him in that last song that he is worthy and he says it back to you this morning. You are worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're clean and you're worthy. So the call this morning is simple. Surrender not to the lies of the enemy, but full surrender to the Spirit of Truth. When you surrender to the Spirit of the, when you surrender to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, it will change your Christian walk. You will begin to walk in the fruit of the Spirit of Truth and the freedom of the Spirit of Truth. John sixteen thirteen through fifteen. We all know this verse, and we all love this verse. When the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what I have and give it to you. So Jesus says, you think I have everything? Yeah, because I got everything that the Father has. And what I have plus what the Father has, I will declare it to you Through Holy Spirit. Is that power? Is that equipping to do the kingdom work that God has called us to do? He will guide you. Um, says he will guide you into all truth. It's a journey. It's a journey. He'll guide you into truth. Into truth. It will be a fully immersive and fully personal and fully experiential process. The Rhema word of God will be declared to you. That that inspired word breathed by God directly into your spirit, whispered into your ear, just like Elijah heard the voice of God still softly whispering in the cave. Listen to the Lord this morning. Listen to the Rhema word of the Lord this morning. Say, You are clean and you are worthy. You are clean and you are worthy. The fruit of surrendering to the Holy Spirit is a life of obedience. Obedience isn't the path or process to sanctification. It is the fruit of having been sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. You have been washed. 1 Corinthians 6 that we talked about. You, 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 uh, you have been made clean. You have been justified. You are washed. You are clean. The Lord can't stress this enough this morning. And it's the truth that Sets us free, right? Um, Like we said before, if there's no liberty, it's not the truth. If you feel captive in your life. uh, My question to you this morning is, are you following the spirit of truth? If you are not being continually led by the spirit of truth, then who are you being led by? The father of lies, right? Before we were saved, we walked according to the course of the way of this world. We were servants of the devil. So the voice that's whispering in your ear has to be the rhema word of God. It can't be that voice that says, did God really say? Did God's word really say? Did Jesus really say? That's why in John 4 it says God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. We get that. We get that in the charismatic church. We must worship him in spirit, but we must worship him in truth. John 17, 17, a simple verse says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. Washed in the water of the word. There's freedom in here this morning in surrendering to the spirit of truth. There's freedom when, when, when your foundation is secure, right? The beautiful thing about truth is that is that truth is absolute. Truth is immutable. Truth is immutable. Truth cannot be shaken. Truth cannot be moved. The truth about who Jesus is has never changed and will never change. And if you are truly following Jesus Christ... The truth about you has never changed and will never change. See, see, God's view of us doesn't vacillate between our good and bad behavior. It's when we look at ourselves through the lens of sin that distorts the perspective of the reality that exists. The reality hasn't changed. You are clean. You are washed. You are worthy. But when you put that filter, when you you look at life and look at yourself through the lens of sin, it distorts that perspective. We have to live with a gospel lens that says you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So this morning... God says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, in the Old Testament, when somebody would bring a sacrifice to the altar, what was inspected? Was it the person bringing the sacrifice? Did they have to qualify? Did they have to be blameless and spotless? No. It's the sacrifice that was inspected. And our sacrifice was perfect. Our sacrifice was complete. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. The blood of Jesus atones. It is is so ridiculously simple. Just surrender. Just surrender. What the Lord said is, look... This church is so hungry, it is so poised, it is so ready. It doesn't have to do another thing. Just walk in the truth that already exists. Walk in the reality that is yours this morning. And so I want to invite the the band back up. and I want us to have a time of activation this morning. I want to have a time where we can reflect with the Lord... And think about those areas in our lives where we have believed a lie about ourselves. We know the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, trying to devour us. And look, right now, some of you are trying to suppress that that one thought that you know that you know the Lord wants to deal with in your life today. That that thought wells up, it creeps up, right? Some, some of we talked about that one thing we can't release to the Lord, right? Uh, Some some of you did that last week and activated that. I want us to leave these lies behind. I want to come out of agreement with these lies at a church. What, what, What happens when a whole church on a Sunday morning decides enough is enough? What happens when a whole church as a body, as a community says no more? If Jesus said about me, it's true. If Jesus said I can do it, I can do it. If Jesus said I can do greater things than he, I will do greater things than he. So I want you to spend some time with the Lord. We're going to worship. We're going to sing. They're going to sing the goodness of God again. Right? Just that, just that idea of God having been running after you your whole life. Even when you wander. Even when you stray. Even when all you can think about yourself is I am such a wretch. I am such a mess. God's running after you this morning, not asking you, He's not asking one thing of you. He's not asking you to do one thing. He's just asking you to surrender. He's asking you to take that lie that you struggled with and lay it at the foot of the cross. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence to find mercy and help in our time of need, says the Lord. And I want you to do that right now. In a minute, we're going to take communion together, and I'll lead us through communion. But I want you to have time to prepare your heart for communion. God's word says, do not take communion lightly. If we have something against our brother, leave the meal. Go get right with your brother. You know what happened to me this week? I went to a, a revival night at a different church. Just wanted to see what the Lord's doing and burning. And the speaker was speaking on forgiveness. And he was speaking on also the reverse of that, unforgiveness. And, and in this revival night, he made a call to forgive. And I I sat there and I looked across the room, and sitting in that room um, was somebody that I had been on staff with at a church in a prior. Who I had hurt, personally. Who I had wronged as a church leader. (laughs) I'm in the middle of writing this. The Lord said, you're not spiritual. You're not fooling anybody. But I've forgiven you so much. You've been forgiven so much. Just go ask for forgiveness. So I went over to this brother and reconciled with his brother. I reconciled with his father. And there was healing in that moment. Surrendering to the spirit of truth that says there is a better way than unforgiveness. There is a better way than pride. Pride would keep me from even telling you that story from this pulpit this morning. I think that's why God has wrecked me this week and wrecked me this morning and put me through these trials. He's not allowing me to teach anything that he hasn't walked me through. But as a as a body, he's called us to walk together. So I want us to stand. I want to ask the prayer team to to, they can make their way to the front, they can make their way to the sides, they can make their way to the back. Some of you um, can deal with the Lord from your seat. Some of you can spend time in prayer and in communion with the Lord from your seat. You can come out of agreement with with the lies that you've been believing, uh, whether it's a spirit of accusation, whether it's a spirit of perversion, whether it's a lying spirit, whatever you're struggling with, you can come out of that in your seat. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient. The name of Jesus Christ is all-powerful. Lay it at His feet, give it to Him, and leave it with Him in your seat, and then just begin to praise with the worship team. But some of you this morning might be stuck. Some of you might feel stuck in your oppression. Some of you might feel stuck under the lies of the enemy. If you feel stuck, that's bondage. If you feel stuck, that's captivity. You don't have to do a thing this morning, but surrender Through the spirit of truth. And he will set you free. And so if that's you. If you need a little help. If you need somebody to pray with you. That's why our prayer team is here. So what we're going to do. Is we are going to get right with God. Before we feast on this meal together. Father God we come before you. Lord would you just allow us to take an honest look. At who, who we are the religion that we've globbed on to our our faith, the works that we've globbed on, trying to please you in some crazy subjective way. Lord, just shine your light on the dark areas of our heart. Let us surrender to your spirit of truth. We want to walk in freedom. We want to walk in fruit. No more religious games. No more spiritual masks. No more believing the lies. No more believing the lie that I probably deserved the trauma that somebody else caused in my life. No more believing the lies that that my life before Christ was so filled with. Drunkenness and sexual promiscuity—that I could never be loved, I could never be used by God like that person can. The spirit of comparison—we call out the spirit of comparison and bind that spirit and say, "There is no room for that spirit in this place." Lord, we only believe what you say about us, and that we—and be- that is that we are washed and that we are clean and that we are worthy. So you do whatever you need to do with the Lord. And then when the Lord's done moving, I'll call us back together and we'll take communion together.